John 14, John chapter 14 this morning. We are in the upper room discourse. This is the, the, the night prior to the day of the crucifixion of Jesus. To set this in context, this is Jesus with his disciples around him. He's bringing dis- instruction about what's about to take place. John 14 is on the heels of Jesus letting Peter know that he is about to deny the Lord. I think a couple weeks ago we talked about the spiritual storm that was taking place in the hearts of the disciples. One has already left to betray Jesus. Judas has already left the room. Simon Peter's taken his stand. I'm going to stand with you, Lord. I'll lay my life down for you, Jesus. And that verse 38, remember when the scriptures were written, they were written without chapter numbers and verses. Right there, Jesus answered. Jesus was talking to Peter here. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. They're in a spiritual storm. Jesus is leaving. He's going to be executed. And rather shortly. And the disciples are looking for answers. I think disciples continue to look for answers. We know our Lord. We love our Lord Jesus. uh, But we don't know it all. We have intentions to serve the Lord. And sometimes we fall short of those intentions. We live in a world that is hostile to Christianity. At some level, at some level, the hostility exists. And there's all kinds of concerns that we have. Personal, family, you can go on and on. And to all that, our Lord Jesus has the audacity to say... Not only to his disciples then, but to us here now. Stop letting your heart be troubled. 
What's the flip side of that? I mean, we get a lot of don'ts at times, don't we? You know, don't do this, don't do that. But what's the flip side of that? What, what to do? Well, I like the way Jesus instructs, don't go there. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe. Right there it is. Believe in God, believe also in me. And that belief here, as it is in this chapter, is a believe and keep on believing. Uh, don't let your belief break down. So he tells them what not to do. As, as hard as it would be for them to believe that, don't let your heart be troubled. But believe, believe in God, believe also in me. And, and this, this statement of Christ... You know, it's, it's easy to read verse 1 and then go through those first six verses on into verse 7, on through the chapter, and just kind of leave it in the dust. But we dare not leave verse 1 in the dust. Because I believe it sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for corporate worship and fellowship. Thank you for the public reading of scripture. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus in this place and among your people. Now, God, uh, we... We need your help in the, in the speaking forth of your word, in the hearing, in the learning, in the application and obedience to your word. Lord, we need your help. So we call on you, oh God, at this time to meet every need, primarily, Lord, the spiritual needs that are in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Do not let your heart be troubled. There in verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. And then the Lord Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, is going to talk about heaven. Now, isn't that interesting? Because I'm sure from the disciples' perspective, they're about to go through a really tough time on earth. And Jesus is going to direct their attention to heaven. Right there it is. Verse 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am... There you may be also. Now, listen, that's the end game. That's the way this all culminates. It all culminates in heaven. There is, 
there is a place called heaven. Jesus refers to it here as his father's house. He's emphasizing the family aspect of his children. And he says he's going to gather us together in that place one day. He says, and you know where the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? How do we get to the father's house? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. The way to the father's house is in Jesus, the person, our savior and Lord. To be on the way to the Father's house, one must receive Jesus, believe Jesus, because the way is Jesus. Jesus is the road, Jesus is the ladder, Jesus is the way to the Father's house. He goes on, we'll get to the, we'll get to the text and I really want to get there quickly, so I'll try to read a little faster here, but let's soak it in. If you had known me, this is Jesus speaking. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. One last thing, Jesus, before you leave, show us the father and it'll be enough. That's, we won't ask anything else. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I I like the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Jesus, the Son of God, is the exact representation of the Father's nature. Jesus revealed the Father to us. Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. I, I love this because it's important for us to know that the Father and the Son, and soon we will find out the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, all three together were in perfect agreement to the plan of salvation and to ultimately bring God's children, God's true children who trust in Jesus all the way from planet earth to the father's house. The father is in agreement. The son is in agreement and the Holy spirit is in agreement. They love that plan. And furthermore, they are in agreement in the bringing forth and the carrying forth of that plan. Each one in his own role. What did the father do? Well, the father loved us and chose us before the foundations of the world. What did Jesus do? Jesus came to earth, the son of the living God, and he applied this love. He demonstrated the father's love by dying for us on the cross. Jesus took the nails that you and I deserved. We deserve death. We deserve eternal separation and outer darkness from God for all eternity. 
But at last, Jesus Christ stepped in to and took our place, bearing our sin in his body on the cross, shedding his blood for us, tasting death for us that we would live by faith in him. And then the Holy Spirit does what? I mean, it's a no brainer. Where's Jesus? He ain't here. I can't see him. I can read about him. What's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit makes all that real. And, and the Holy Spirit makes all that personal to you. Did you know that? It is good. And, it, and it's, it's really good because if you read on into chapter 15 of John's gospel, verse 5, what does the Lord say? He says these words, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Well, let's go on. This gets better right here in verse 11. Believe. Notice that word again, believe. Jesus has already talked about eternity and bringing his people, bringing God's people all the way to the Father's house. But what about the here and now? What about what those disciples were about to go through? And what about us disciples living in this day and age? Well, Jesus has something to say about that. He will leave no stone unturned. He will cover the bases. He is showing us how this works. You ever got something, maybe something new, maybe it may be technology or it may be a game. You wonder how it works. What are the rules? How's it played? Jesus sets it forth right here in John 14. And it's so plain. And my prayer in preparing for this time is that each one of us would have open hearts to receive the message of Christ as to how this Christian life works. How did God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit set it up? We find out right here. It's so exciting. How does this work? All right, we've read where heaven's taken care of. And by faith it is. He says, believe, it, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So again, believe. Believe and keep on believing. Faith is essential. In the plan of God, your faith is essential for you to be involved in his plan, for you to go to heaven, for you to live out a productive spiritual life on earth. Faith is essential. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, here we go. He is going to say some things that will, well, they just stagger the mind right here. And we have a truly, truly here in verse 12. So this is a solemn statement of Christ And it's to them then and there, and it's to us in the here and now. Hear these words. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Uh, Okay. I mean, what does that mean? What? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, let's see. In the book of John, you started out by turning water to wine. I, I don't, I mean, how do you, how do you do better than that? But he's saying truly, truly, and there's the truly, truly. He doubles down on this statement. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And then he, uh, he one ups himself by saying, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the father and I'm looking at the lives of the apostles And I'm thinking, how did they ever measure up to Jesus in those works that they did? I'm looking at the life of Jesus thinking, well, I see him out with multitudes around him and and one little boy's lunch. And he multiplies the loaves and the fishes and he feeds at least 5,000. And there were probably a few more thousand involved in that crowd, involved in that feeding of the multitudes. I mean, how do you improve on that? How in the world are we to take this statement? I mean, think if you were, if you were an, a, a Peter there and you're listening, what does that mean? He just told you you're going to deny him three times. And here he's saying the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to the father. So what's that mean? Well, Jesus is looking down the road and he's looking at not only disciples, but he's looking at a church, universal church, who would be involved in the mission of the gospel, which is bringing Jesus to individuals and nations. So I think the way we understand this is that he is speaking specifically about spiritual works. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say exclusively spiritual works because sometimes that comes over into the physical realm, but it's a spiritual work. What happened? This, this disciple, Peter, what happened to him? Well, he believed we know he did. He, he, uh, he did deny the Lord, but he believed. He, he believed and he kept on believing. And he, he believed to the point that he was involved in the plan of God, that he, the plan that Jesus sets forth here. What happened on the day of Pentecost? That was a what? That was a spiritual work. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and presented Jesus to those thousands... And how many were saved? 3,000 were saved. That's how many were saved. That is a great work. That is a wonderful work. I believe that's the work that Jesus is referring to here. The greater works. Now, I do want to, I want to make this clear. A lot of times when I've heard people talk about this verse, 
they automatically go to more works. Well, it's obvious we're going to do more works. There are more of us than there were of Jesus. And we believe him and we're going to do more works. That's fine. I think you can get there. But that's not what the word is there. There's a lot of Greek words for more. This word is greater. Greater works. And he is talking, I believe, about the spread of the gospel and about the spiritual work that comes in the person's heart when we receive and believe in Jesus. He is talking about the works of conversion. Is there a greater work than the work of conversion in one's soul? You can nod if you want. No, there's not. Because that's ultimately what gets you to heaven. It's get, that gets you to the Father's house. So that's the greater works there, the conversion. The preaching of the gospel goes forth and folks are converted. And then I want you to look at the reason why. What's the rationale here? Because when you really dig down into this verse, he's not comparing the works of Jesus to the works of his children or his followers. He says, because I go to the father. He doesn't say you're going to do greater works because you're so special. Because uh, you will have the uh, advantage of all the modern technology. I know that that can be a tough one to swallow. But he says the reason behind the greater works is because he goes to the father. So really, it's, we're looking at the works of Jesus done on planet earth. And we're looking at the works that Jesus will do once he is at the right hand of the father. Because evidently he's going to, he is going to enable us to work under his leadership, under his provision of what we need. To obey him and to see a great work of the Lord done in the earth. But that work is done because Jesus goes to the Father. And here's a reference to the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And all that's involved in Jesus going to the Father. First, Jesus had to come from heaven to earth. We have the Christmas story. Babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He came from heaven to earth. And then he lived perfectly fulfilling the Lord's commands. He never sinned. This is Jesus. Jesus never sinned. The one who had no place to lie his head, to lay his head, he never sinned. He was without sin. He was the perfect representation of the Father on earth. And then he is less than 24 hours away from his execution. He will be treated unjustly. It will be a kangaroo court that convicts him. When Pilate gave him an out, we'll offer Barabbas, public enemy number one, 
the people will surely say, release Jesus and kill Barabbas. Not so fast, Pilate. Because when the offer was made, the people said, release to us Barabbas, public enemy number one. Crucify the Galilean. Yeah, so Jesus going to the Father has to do with his crucifixion. Dying as our substitute on the cross. It has to do with him being buried and rising the third day. It has to do with his resurrection appearances to those who would follow him. It has to do with his ascension to the Father, where he would sit down at the Father's right hand. And from that place, he conducts a high priestly ministry. Jesus is actively involved in his program, his mission in the earth. It gets better. I know you love these. Don't you love it? I mean, this is Jesus. What else could he come up with? Well, this is good right here. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Hmm. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if we didn't get what he just said in 13, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. My, my. We have a greater works and then we get whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What in the world? How does that strike you? Well, I think it's important. I think we get the first part. If you ask me anything in my name, if you ask me anything, okay, that opens it up. But in my name is the qualifier. You know, the name is the name. Jesus is not just a label. It didn't just uh, he didn't have that name just because it, you know, go with, uh, you know, Something unique about about his looks. Not just he wasn't named Jesus just because it sounds good, but the name, his name, that means all of who he is. If you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything according to his character, if you ask anything according. To his intent. He says, I will do it. I'm reminded of that verse out of James where he says that, you know, when you pray, you, you, you often don't get what you think you're going to get because you ask amiss. You ask wrongly so that you can consume it uh, in your own life or your own lusts. What's he saying? He's saying we can be selfish in our praying. We need to pray according to the will of God. According to what he wants. What does he want? He wants the spiritual best for everybody. He wants your best. I have no problem praying that. I'll tell you, a good place to start on this, if you, if you really you, you want to take this seriously, start praying the word of God. 
Can I give you an example? Okay, thank you. Um, if you go to Ephesians, you're reading this letter written by Paul, and he, um, he has a couple prayers in here. Go to chapter 1 and verse 15. We just talked about the fact that the greater works is, consist of the spiritual work. And so we can pray spiritual blessings on people. We can pray spiritual blessings for ourselves. He says, for this reason, this is verse 15. I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints... Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. What does that mean? He's just praying that this church in Ephesus would grow in their knowledge of Christ. That is wonderful. I, I wonder, do you, think, do you think the Lord would answer that prayer? I do. I think he'd answer that prayer. This is consistent with God's will for his people. He goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power Toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What a prayer. What a wonderful prayer for a church, for a congregation of people. Notice he's not asking for physical things. He's asking for spiritual enlightenment that the people would grow in their knowledge of Christ. And that would lead to closer fellowship with Christ. And that would lead to a stronger church. And I'll just say it. I've borrowed this prayer from Paul and I pray it often for you. I pray it for myself. There's another one over here in chapter 3. You say, well, what gives you the right to pray a prayer of Paul's? Well, it's right here in the word for one. And I can't improve on it. Amen? All right. So here's another good one. I like this one. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, and that's an experiential know, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him. 
be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. My, my, my. I think, I think the Lord hears those prayers. He answers those prayers. He will build us up. He will give us more knowledge. And like Paul is praying there, and I love this, that we would comprehend, that we would even begin, that we would go beyond scratching the surface of God's great love for us demonstrated in Christ. I mean, let's have a show of hands. How many of you have a handle on God's love for you? Well, that doesn't mean we need to put it to the side and stop thinking about it. We need to begin to just think about God's love for us. Well, Brother Bill, I've never hurt so bad. Well, you need to think about God's love for you. Because physical pain and God's love are not mutually exclusive. God loves us. Pray the word of God. And then he goes on, verse 15, it gets better. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. I think the best, I think the best translation there of the another helper. Now, he's saying another helper. So who's the first helper? Who is it? It's Jesus. I'm going to ask the, Jesus is getting ready to leave planet earth. And he's saying, I'm going to ask the father that he give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. And then he, he states specifically this helper. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. We read about that way back in chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness understood it or comprehended it not. The world doesn't receive Jesus. The world doesn't receive the truth. Because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I love this great assurance from Jesus to those disciples I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. All right. The outline. There's two points with regard to Jesus and what he does. The first one is that Jesus goes to the Father. Through his glorification, through his sinless life, his death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension, he goes to the Father. That's the first thing. The second is found right there in verse 16. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that another helper that he refers to here. Some translations say counselor. And that's fine. But there is a legal aspect to the, uh, to the word there for helper, paraclete. Uh, so as long as we don't think that the counselor is a camp counselor. Or a marriage counselor. As long as we know that the paraclete is a counselor. 
He is one called alongside to help. And why do we need the help? Why? Because life is hard. That's why. Living the Christian life ain't easy. That's why. We need help. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Father. And when I get there, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he'll help you. So those two points. Now, what, what do we do? What is on us? What is Jesus instructing believers? How is he, how is he telling us to live? How is he showing us, instructing us to live? With those two ideas in mind that Jesus is up there. He is at the right hand of the Father. And from that place, he conducts this high priestly ministry. Specifically, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's what he said right there. I will ask the father. He'll give you another helper. He may be that he may be with you forever. First, believe. Oh, I almost forgot. Go all the way back to verse one. Do not let your heart be troubled. Listen, when we... When we um, continue to live with a troubled heart, uh, well, let's just say it this way. A troubled heart is counterproductive to everything Jesus teaches in this chapter. Number one, what do we do? Believe, number one. Believe. And it's very difficult to believe when you have a troubled heart. But he says, believe right there in verse 12. He believes in me. So we believe. He wants us to believe and keep on believing, trusting. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Secondly, pray. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we believe and we pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Find a prayer out of the book of Acts. Find a prayer out of Paul's writings. Pray the Word of God. Pray for spiritual blessings on others. Thirdly, love. Now look at verse 15, if you love me, so we should love Jesus. We should be growing in our love for Jesus. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So love and obey. So there's four points there. Believe, pray, love, obey. Believe, pray, love, obey. If you look Well, in my Bible, right across the page to verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you, what? Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I think there are some 30 one another commands in the New Testament. Start that way. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. There are others. Be kind-hearted to one another. Comfort one another. 
the one another commands, a great place to start with regard to loving one another. So believe, pray, love, and obey. Jesus says that he will not leave us as orphans. He says, I will come to you. The next time we're together, I want to start right there with, I will come to you. Because there's a number of different interpretations of that. I certainly have my view on that. And I believe it's consistent with the context here. But today, believe Pray, love, and obey. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed? If you've not believed in Jesus, what's, what's holding you back? Trust him. Trust him. Trust Christ. Believe in him. And keep on believing in him. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the scriptures before us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus laid out the plan. We thank you that he is offering encouraging words and words that, if received, would bring us to eternity with him. So, Lord, bless during this time. If there's one here that has never believed in you, I pray today is the day they would believe, they would trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. That they would turn their back on their old lifestyle and follow Christ. Lord, may that be true. And then, Lord, I pray uh, grace multiplied on each one here. That you would bring spiritual blessings and insight and understanding into our lives that we would grow in Jesus and glorify Jesus and the Father. And then, Lord, help us not to be reluctant in asking for help. Nothing about this suggests that we can do anything on our own. And what do we know? You didn't plan it that way. So help us, God, to open our hearts and our minds and receive the help that you offer. That we would be strengthened. That we would have a great sense of expectation for what you can do in and through us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand, turn number 277. He is Lord.